Section 28 of Loop Guru. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wayne Cook. Loop Guru by Eden Philpotts. Section 28. Enigma of the Doubloons. Chapter 4. Matt Jagger's Circle. First place, Sonny, exclaimed Matt Jagger to Tom, who gazed wistfully at him. Even if your rings pitched true, you'd have to dig maybe a foot lower than you've done. A hundred years of fallen branch and rotting leaf and wear and tear generally would build up on top of the ground some inches of soil at the least, so I judge. See, you didn't allow nothing for that. Besides, the earth on the top of the treasure might stand a bit higher than that around it. There was lots to spare, cause the puzzle says how they scattered afar what was left over. But that's nothing. You've made a blame sight worse error than that in the riddle itself. See here, how do you know this measurement's right? How do you know these two figures, eight and six, is put what they look to be? They're the only straightforward point in the puzzle, said Tom. Just so. And for that reason, I wouldn't put a cent's worth of faith in em. I figured this thing out last night when I left you, and I judged the old cuss that built it was no fool. He turned everything backwards, didn't he? Yes. Then why should he leave a telling point like two figures plain sailing? Not he. He muddled em like the rest, and I reckon I've cornered him on it, too. Tom breathed very excited, and breathed hard. Go ahead, was all he could say. You found the secret out yourself, continued Jagger quietly. Bet your life I hadn't the wits to solve it. You didn't care through your own notion, that's all. And I went on while you stopped. It's like this. He turned the alphabet backwards, didn't he? Yes. And that's just what he did with figures. He treated them likewise. I'd better bank to a red cent. I've tracked him. See this. Mr. Jagger produced a sheet of paper and laid it before young Wetterborn. There was nothing upon it save two rows of figures, placed orderly beneath each other, thus. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero. Zero, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Well, eighty-six now, asked the elder man with great glee, rubbing his hands. I reckon it's turned into thirty-five mighty sharp. What? Tom could only stare and gasp. I never thought of it. I never dreamed of it. I'm a dense, helpless fool, and you're a genius. <laughs> Why, two heads is better than one. You guessed the trick, not me. But I'm blame glad, gladder than I've been in late years, I tell you, answered the other with a pleased laugh. Half the stuff is now yours, Matt. We're pals forever now. Half the stuff. Mind that, said Tom, shaking the old digger's hand. Something dimmed Mr. Jagger's little steel eyes for a moment. He sniffed and chuckled and twisted a cigarette. <laughs> Lord love you, boy. What's the good of money to me? A man lonelier than a lighthouse. I've cheated my earth this journey anyway, so... We're quits now till she gets me for good. Stick to the dirt, laddie, and do the right thing by it. 
but we ain't banked yet. There's many slip twixt the gold and the pick, as we used to say. A new circle, a new circle, Matt, with a thirty-five-yard radius. That's the game. Child's play after this giant ring, but we'll make the new one broader and deeper. And I'm going to help in the digging of it, boy. I guess I'm getting fat and lazy. So's my dumb nigger. We'll trot him out, too. Overwrought, Tom could not trust himself to speak just then. He turned to be busy with preparation of food, and Matt rose up and strolled out of doors. Presently, after a meal, both went to work on Matt Jagger's circle. It proved a very different affair to the first, and only extended over a circumference of about 225 yards. The new ring was marked out that day, and Tom felt greatly surprised to see what two pairs of hands can achieve in the execution of a task by contrast with one pair. So the new circle widened steadily out. It was broader and deeper than Tom's original venture, and its rate of progression varied as the first had done with the nature of the soil. A fortnight passed, leaving rather less than fifty yards unexplored, and bringing no hint or suggestion of success. Tom began to grow grave and taciturn again, but Mr. Jagger never hesitated for a moment. He preserved a happy, sanguine mind, denied the possibility of any further miscalculation, and when but eight and twenty yards were all that remained to complete his circle, he still sounded a note of hope. "'Lock your luck if it's hid away in the last yard we cut out,' he declared. "'Don't grizzle and fret yourself to fiddle-strings anyway. "'If we're beat here, we can just begin again where you started and dig deeper. "'It's sheer ridiculousness that gold can be hid beyond the finding "'on a one-horse island no bigger than St. Thomas.' "'Then, almost upon the expiration of this portion of the treasure-hunter's labors, "'a sudden disaster not wholly unforeseen by the older man fell upon Tom.' Jagger arrived betimes upon the morning that was to see the second circle completed, and he found his friend already laboring wildly, digging at random, jabbering to himself, and quite delirious. A low fever, born from the poisonous mists that sometimes wandered like evil ghosts upon the hillsides by night, had gripped Tom Wedderborn. He was in no condition to tackle any illness just then. The great topic of his brain, distorted and magnified by the ailment from which he suffered, became an ever-present source of excitement and added fuel to the flame. Indeed, Tom grew seriously ill, so at least Mr. Jagger believed, and he lost no time, therefore, in communicating with the town, in summoning medical aid, and in acquainting Mr. Hargan with the occurrence. The old merchant and a medical man arrived together to find Tom tossing about half-asleep in his cabin and Jagger hard at work outside. Dr. Terence saw no great cause for alarm. He pronounced his patient altogether below par and therefore ill-equipped to fight any ailment. The fever, however, was not malignant and unlikely to become worse if treated promptly. On learning the reason for Tom's rambling utterances, he deemed that it was important that he should be moved from a scene which would remind him of his search every time he opened his eyes. But the field of the lad's labor was not such that any vehicle could approach within a considerable distance of it. 
Mr. Hargan made a suggestion, and the two men were occupied with the subject when Matt came in. He had finished the second circle and found nothing. But he was cheerful as ever, and showed considerable gratification at hearing sick Tom was not as ill as he appeared to be. "'He must be taken from this place, and the sooner the better,' said Dr. Tarrant. "'Everything here keeps his brain in a rack and whirl.' "'Let him come along with me, then,' suggested Mr. Jagger. "'My place is handier than town, and it's easy going along the sea sand most ways. I'm not a bad nurse, either. Some of them loitering niggers can help me with a litter and carry it afterwards.' The medical man approved of the suggestion, and presently a light palanquin was improvised, with a cool green curtain of plantain leaves above it. Within this, between blankets, the sufferer, after a sharp ague fit had passed off, was comfortably conveyed to Matt's lonely home. Jagger went on ahead to get matters shipshape for Tom before the sufferer should arrive. A negro was sent to St. Thomas for physic, this presently arrived, and, though Dr. Tarrant had already departed to his business, Mr. Hargan stayed on until the patient slept quietly, and a setting sun warned him that he must be hastening homewards. Matt had already explained how affairs were standing in the search for the doubloons, and the old dame determined that, when the adventure's health mended, he would pay his passage home again. Tom slept far into the next day and woke better. He had no recollection of his recent journey, and was at a loss to know how he had come to occupy his present position. But he perfectly remembered the exciting point at which Matt's circle had been left, and as the evening came, he poured a tumbling torrent of questions into the other's ears. Jagger avoided the direct answer, and, as a result, Tom guessed the truth. "'You tell me quick enough, Matt, if there was any luck. Don't think I'm not the right stuff, Matt.' I can bet it. I can face it. He lay back quietly, and his friend sat beside him and smoked and comforted him. Tom's eyes were like stars, his face thin and drawn. His hair, sadly in want of the barber's scissors, shone bright as gold in the light of Matt's candle. The window was open with a gauze over it. The night was very hot. A strange, faint noise of frogs arose without, and the sigh of the distant sea below could be distinctly heard, breaking the nocturnal silence. Then the fever crowded down on Tom Winterborne with the hand of a giant. He suddenly started up, laughing wildly and hugging some precious airborne treasure to his breast. "'Found!' he cried surely. "'Found at last! I knew it! I knew it! Thank God! Kneel down, Matt! Kneel down, I tell you! Oh, it's crumbling! It's sinking lower and lower! Help me, Matt! Help me, man! Stop praying! See! It's got legs! It's got wings! Gone! All gone! And devils laughing at me! Hark at them! Hark! Hark!' He moaned and cried, while Jagger sat beside him, grim and silent. The old man had his watch out and was waiting for the moment when the medicine must be again administered. "'Cause the clock, it crawls,' he said to himself. Presently his patient began to shiver. "'It's a trick! It's a lying trick!' he hissed out, speaking thick and fast with his teeth chattered. "'You're deceiving me! You're fooling me! You found it, Matt! And you're keeping it all to yourself! You wouldn't do that, Matt! You wouldn't rob a man that's trusted you like I have! Give me just my half!' 
to only my half, Matt. I'm young, and I've worked very hard for a youngster. Very hard, very hard. Lie down, you little fool, said Jagger hoarsely. Lie down and be good. Don't you fret. We'll find the stuff, you and me. You wait till you are on your pins again. Never fear. Me steal your money? Why, we're pals we are, see? Pals, that's what we are. We're pals, we are, yes. That's it, we're pals, echoed Tom, looking dreamily at the man who was holding his hand. You wouldn't play it low down on a pal, would you, Matt? The reflection seemed to comfort him, and he grew quieter. Then Matt Jagger gave him his medicine, and presently the boy slept. The doctor came early next morning and stayed a considerable time. Tom had suffered a relapse, but was a shade better again, though very weak. The difficulty lay in his mental condition. The ruling passion of his life had got a hold. There was no shaking. It haunted his sleep and tormented his waking moments. Dr. Tarrant gave Jagger all necessary directions, urged him to watch his charge like a cat, and offered to send a nurse from town. This, however, the other would not permit at present. He declared himself quite equal to looking after Tom, and undertook to do so. The ailment, aggravated from start to finish by the sufferer's mental condition, ran its course, and a time came when young Wedderborn was on the high road to complete recovery. Then, in an evil hour, Matt supplied him with pencil and paper. He had been quiet for a week, had listened to his nurse's stories, and abstained from even alluding to his own interests. But no sooner were the pencil and paper in his hands than the cause of his anxieties reappeared. He set to work at the cryptogram, and wearied his weak brains with helpless and aimless struggles upon the problem. Still the boy grew stronger, very slowly, although he persisted in secret experiments on and investigations of the Wedderborn enigma. Then happened a thing for which Matt Jagger's black servant was to blame, though the old digger afterwards bitterly accused himself. Leaving the negro within sight of his patient, as he often did, Matt retired for a rest. He slept a couple of hours, and meanwhile, Dom Morris, the said Ethiope, seeing that Tom was quiet as a lamb and busy with his pencil and papers, walked out to take the air and see a friend. He intended to be back before his master should rise, but chance retarded the man's return. Anon Matt awoke and strolled to the invalid's room. The door was open. The black watcher had disappeared and the apartment itself proved to be quite empty. Tom had clean vanished, leaving no sign save a stump of lead pencil and a scattering of papers, some on the floor, some on the table by which he had been sitting in a big easy chair with a rug over his knees. End of section 28